Break out your wireframes and heat up those Git repos. We're ready to tackle topics ranging from accessibility to front-end design, user experience, and beyond. You're listening to the Drunken UX Podcast with your hosts, Michael Feenan and Aaron Hill. Everybody, thanks for joining us this week on episode number 98 of the Drunken UX Podcast. This week, we're going to be talking about the importance of Atlas Content Modeler to the future of headless WordPress. We're being joined by Kellen Mays from WP Engine to talk about that. Folks, I am your host, Michael Feenan. I'm your other other host. How are you doing tonight, Michael? I just took I oh, I a swig too. of semi-warm scotch, and it hit me a little sideways. Uh, sorry. Oh, make a face. All right. I'm good to go. Um, <laughs> hey, I'm doing good. How are you doing, Aaron? I'm So my hands feel like they're on fire. Um, I was cutting peppers earlier from my garden. They're these tiny little, like, this, like the size of, like, half my pinky. And they're, like, yellow. They look like tiny jalapenos. What are those called? Like, bird eye? Um, I don't know, but they're literally fire. I, I chopped a bunch and I de-seeded them. And then uh, I washed my hands with soap. Because I thought that would do it. No, I, um, they are currently uh, like burning very much. But your arthritis is feeling better, isn't it? I don't. I don't know if I have arthritis. I I can't feel anything but pain. <laughs> so did you did you plant them knowing about the the heat though, or was that no. a really no? That was a shock. No, I my I I got them from my neighbor. Um, he's a really Awesome. He's an amazing gardener, and I just like what do you got? And he just gave me a bunch of things, and it's like some of them are spicy peppers, some of them are like you know mm. bell peppers or some poblanos. I got some habaneros and jalapenos, and yeah, uh, these were a surprise. Sounds so. sounds like a, you're setting up for a game of pepper roulette, <laughs> right? <laughs> these would make a bowl of peppers, th- grab one, see what happens. Right? <laughs> Close your eyes, pop one, take a bite. This Boom. is the kind of pepper you want to like give to like like a friend as a joke and be like, oh yeah, try this tiny little pepper. It's it's small. It's okay. On yeah. our next episode, we're gonna do a variation of hot ones, right? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna get Aaron to eat peppers and answer questions about web development and see nice. see how that oh. goes. I tell you what, if you want to see that, if you want to make that be a reality, go check out our sponsors over at the High Ed Web Association. Their conference is coming up on October 5th and uh, 4th and 5th. And if you want to get a free ticket to that show, you can go to drunkenux.com slash H-E-Web 21. That's drunkenux.com slash H-E-Web 21. Shannon Kaysen is going to be their keynote speaker and the entire event is online so be sure to nice. run by there and get yourself a ticket to the show fun fact uh high ed web is more or less how michael and i met many years ago i think it is literally how we met i mean we didn't meet in person we met through the thing with high ed web that we don't talk about oh high ed web yeah web yeah. yeah cincinnati <laughs> <laughs> Folks, if you want to check us out, you can find us on the Twitter or Facebook at slash Drunken UX or Instagram at slash Drunken UX podcast. If you ever want to chat with us, we have a Discord server. Just go to drunkenux.com slash Discord and it'll drop you right into place. Aaron, yeah. you have an icy glass of something. Is it cooling off your spicy hands? Um, you know, I haven't considered putting my hands into it, but that might help. Um, I've got some gin and vermouth and a splash of lime juice and it's all right. It feels like a good like end of summer drink. 
sort of a martini like a yeah i'm I'm not gonna call it a martini because i did not measure anything i literally just like <laughs> poured some gin poured some vermouth flash of lime juice and then whoosh, right downstairs so i i warmed up for the show by finishing off a bottle of spayburn 10 which <laughs> was just sitting on my shelf too long so i felt it was time to just finish that off but i finished it before we even started so i'm already on to another bottle of a uh, i can't say the word even glenn live at 12 very plain, straight up Speyside. Any bar is going to have it. If you ever want to try it, just walk wherever you like drinking and they will have it. I guarantee you. It's not fancy. It's not special. I don't even like it that much. And I kind of want to get it off my shelf. So I have to drink it to make it go away. But Glenn Livid, if you want to sponsor us, we are happy to say mediocre things about you. Oh, no, no, no. I just don't like the 12. The 15 and the 18 are phenomenal. Even the, the 21 archive is pretty darn good. Like, I don't mind they're uh, they're higher end stuff and or even mid-tier stuff it's just for whatever reason the 12 not my love um the 14 <laughs> bourbon cask also excellent like glenlivet makes a lot of good scotch it's just that their baseline 12 is not fun for me try the 12 it's average try, try the 12 <laughs> it's good enough for everybody to have it <laughs> okay so here's the thing folks we're gonna be talking wordpress tonight Specifically, we're going to be talking about a little plugin called the Atlas Content Modeler. To talk about this, we have brought in Kellen Mace. He is the senior developer advocate over at WP Engine. He's also the host of the Decode podcast. He's also formerly the senior software engineer at Finder. He's also the chief product officer at Harness Software and a developer at several other WordPress agencies. Cool. Kellen, welcome to the show. Glad Hello to see there. you. I am glad to be here. Glad to be here. Thanks for taking that long trip it. over one link to join us. <laughs> this is treacherous, but I made it. So it's happy to be people on. People navigate you. their way here eventually. It's like a, we give you the map. You got to cut through some jungles, uh, and then your internet connection makes it to Kansas. Yep. <laughs> you're, although you're just kind of straight north of me, so while it's a good distance, you're at least in the same time zone. Yeah, that helps. I want to start real fast. Because the first thing I listed you as was the Senior Developer Advocate at WP Engine. Now, develop, developer advocates are kind of a new and up-and-coming title. We see them at DigitalOcean. We see them at GitHub. Um, a lot of the folks, if you uh, interact with like dev agencies at conferences, a lot of times you'll see developer, developer advocates. That's becoming an increasingly hard word for me to say, and it's only three minutes into the show. Talk to us real fast. Like, I'm just curious from your background like how you got into development just in general like what was sort of the the catalyst for that and that journey to becoming a developer advocate how how did that happen to you sure yeah yeah so i'll, I'll go uh not quite all the way back well we <laughs> won't start at birth but we'll rewind a bit a little bit to um to my uh college days i i suppose um so in in school i I was very much in, into music. I was a musician, played a lot of guitar and drums and was in some bands and things. I really loved that. Uh, but I never quite wanted to make a career out of it. I just pictured myself like endlessly touring the country in a, in a boss or van or something. I was like, ah, I don't know. I don't, that life doesn't quite, quite appeal to me. And I'm not some superstar who's going to be, you know, uh, whatever, um, famous in, in play shows and whatever. I own guitars. Yeah. They they hang on my wall really nicely. <laughs> Did they get some attention? 
Mm. No, uh, no, no. They they look very nice over there, though. Like <laughs> they look impressive. I yeah. I own a guitar, a piano, and a drum kit, and I play all three poorly. Although of the three, I probably play drums the best. Nice. I like all three a lot. That was that was my thing in high school. Mm-hmm. I would just like fly off the bus and like crank up that amplifier and mm-hmm. wait wait for my you know friends to come play or whatever. So. Right. Yeah, so really, uh, and I think that's a common. I think that's a common story. Like a lot of developer people, I think are just like have a creative side of them. That's why they like building things, you know. So they, I think, a lot of times are like, oh, I'm also a novelist or musician or like other other creative <laughs> pursuit pursuits or whatever. I think is kind of common. So, so yeah, I was uh, very much into music, but didn't quite want to do that as a career. So I had no idea what I um, should major in in college. I ended up, um, I had this kind of pivotal day where I printed off like this sheet of all the majors in academic programs uh, that my, my school offered and crossed out all those that I did not want to do. <laughs> I that's kid you good, not. That's a good approach. It was, it was a process of elimination scenario for me. So I was like, I, I crossed out all the ones I didn't want to do. And uh, somehow I landed on um, this this degree. My school had occupational safety and health management. Huh. So I thought it was like broad enough in one sense, but narrow enough in another sense. So I just, I went for that. And um after I got out of school, I kind of paired those two together. I took like my safety degree and then, you know, this foot in the, in the door that I had in the form of um, this hospital ER job. And I paired the two together and I started doing healthcare safety. Um, so I did that for a number of years and uh, part of something in me wasn't satisfied. And that's like the creative, you know, part of me. I, I view myself as a creative person. Somebody who likes to to build things and tinker and so on. And in that job, it's very much like, here's what OSHA says we have to do. Or the EPA or whatever, and I'm going to train you to do exactly that, nothing less, nothing more, and do it on repeat for first shift, second shift, third shift, this month, next month. And after a while, it got a bit old for me, so I, uh, so I wanted something new. This was around around the time when uh, some popular teacher self to code sites were springing up on the internet. Um, mm-hmm. So those you know listeners you might recognize like uh, Code Academy mm-hmm. or uh, Treehouse or uh, Code School were were a few of the ones. Um, in those days, those were becoming popular online. And I was always, I was always interested in tech. I was always like an early adopter of new software and, and just, you know, into, into tech. I saw that these, you know, teach yourself to code type sites were springing up online. And I thought at a certain point, I was like, I wonder if I would like coding, you know, like writing code. I, I have a, a friend or two, uh, who do that and it seems to be interesting for them. Like, I'll just try it, you know, just, just to tinker or whatever. So I did. I started going through some of the like curriculum that those um, services had, that those sites had, and ended up really liking it. You know, I just, I just, I thought, uh, I remember thinking like, this is so cool that you can, if you just kind of figure, commit to memory what the rules are and like how to write the syntax, you can do anything you want, right? You can say like, I'm going to take this data up from here and push it over there and save it here and extract it here and like, Anything you could dream up, you know, there, there are very few limitations, it seemed like, to what you can accomplish if you just, you know, kind of know the basic building blocks of variables and conditionals and all that kind of stuff. So I actually took one intro to computer science course through Harvard University's Extension School. I believe they renamed it back back then. It was edX.org. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I remember that. And that just furthered my, like, kind of love for for building things with with tech and with code and stuff. So. 
yeah, that was the final straw, I think. So then I was all in after that. Um, and thankfully for me, I have a good friend of mine, Brian Richards, you know, who you, who you might know if you're in the WordPress space, anybody listening, he, he runs WPSessions.com, which is like a WordPress related training site. Um, so Brian and I have known each other for years, like since college. And he at, at the time, you know, was, had a, a lead uh, WordPress development role. Um, so I reached out to him and I was like, Hey, I'm in, I'm into this coding stuff. Like, what can you teach me? Uh, I want to, I want to learn more and building sites for next to no money. You know, I, I, I would build like this, this pretty large, um, pretty large site and charge somebody like $200 and spend like, <laughs> spend like a month and a half on, you know what I mean? Oh. Like, but at that point I didn't care. I was in it. I wasn't in it for the money. I was in it for the learning. I was like, if I complete this project, then I'll know how to do all of those things for the next project. And I can eventually charge more and, and whatever. So I eventually got good enough at that to leave um, my healthcare job. So I was very excited about that. I went to go work for 10Up first, which hmm. is a, yeah. a well-known agency in the WordPress space. Um, and the next several years, yeah, I, I worked for for 10Up, uh, for another company, Luminary Web Services, um, for Web Dev Studios after that. Um, and by that point, I had, uh, I had some leadership responsibility. I was like in a, in a lead engineer position by that point so i was like leading some of our development we did for uh big enterprise clients like campbell soup was one of mm. the um the clients that we that we had so i was you know leading the development team that um built out many of the features for some campbell sites and things like that in the agency world like i, I really enjoyed what i was doing and i learned a lot i was learning a lot um, but at a certain point i started like on the side i became enamored with these new javascript you know uh frameworks that are coming out like um like React and I was learning React and Redux and GraphQL and kind of, you know, t- tinkering with those technologies. And, and, uh, I really liked the just super snappy app like experiences that some of those, you know, uh, technologies brought to the table. Um, but I wasn't able to do that in my day job, you know, uh, my day job was still, uh, you know, traditional server rendered, um, right. pages. So I kind of wanted to bridge the gap there. I was like, I have this, by this point, I have a lot of knowledge of like WordPress and all of its APIs. And I had this separate knowledge of, you know, working with React and GraphQL and Redux and these front-end technologies. Like, I wonder if I could pair those pair those together. You know, it's... it's so it's, you're yeah. responsible for Gutenberg. <laughs> it's me. It's me. You can blame me. Yeah, and Gutenberg was another, you know, another reason to, um, to you know, learn kind of the basics of React too, since it, it uses that, of course. Um, so anyways, I, I was looking around a bit and I found a job at a uh, startup called Harness Software and they they had a, a WordPress backend and they wanted to decouple the front end from that and have a more app-like experience with some more advanced features like um, like fully like offline mode, for example. So they wanted folks to be able to like load up the web app on their phone. Like if the network connection drops out, you can continue you know, filling out forms and submitting data and saving things. And then when the network connection was reestablished later on, then we would take any work that they, that person had done oh. offline and then sync it back to the server. So stuff like right. that, you know, you can't quite do, if you're, if you're doing the traditional server rendered web pages, like the m- minute your network connection has gone, that's kind of it, right? The user just like going to hit a white screen or whatever. So we, that was part of the, part of the motivation to decouple the front end so that we could have this application with its own logic. So it could, you know, continue, um, continue working for the user, even if the network connection was, you know, flaky or dropped out or whatever. So I learned an absolute ton in that job. And I was, I went, you know, head first into the headless WordPress world. So that was my, 
my intro there. So I'm, you know, while at the job, I, I, I wrote uh, an extension for WP GraphQL, which is a plugin that provides a GraphQL API for WordPress. I wrote an extension for that for, to support gravity forms, which is a common like form builder plugin. So I'm the author of like the WP GraphQL for gravity forms plugin that was used by that, you know, startup and so on. So gain a ton of experience there. Um, and, um, yeah, at a certain, certain point I, uh, I uh, ended that job. I worked shortly for Finder, who, who you mentioned, uh, for for a few months, and then switched again, and finally landed at, at WP Engine now. So, WP Engine is the first job where I am um, in a developer relations role, where I'm a developer advocate, and uh, I it's a lot of fun. I I like this job. Um, it's different from my previous roles because they were all straight developer positions. At WP Engine, I feel like it's a good mix for me, where I'm able to like I still code on on um, projects and all the example apps and repos and stuff uh, that I put together to demonstrate certain tech or certain features. Like I'm still still doing that coding work, but then I get to turn around and share it with the community. And I get a lot of f- people saying like, thanks so much f- for giving this, you know, providing this free video. I've been just stuck on this particular thing for, you know, two weeks. And now you've just, you know, something you did in the video, I didn't think to do the first time I tried. So thanks so much for that. You know, it's, and it's very like gratifying. It feels good to, um, to help the the community like that. So yeah, that's how I got to where I am. Um, so before we go diving headfirst into talking about this new tool, Atlas content modeler, I want to mm-hmm. segue and I want to do it sort of elegantly <laughs> in that don't, just because I have to say it out loud, it's like a comedian who has to explain their joke. Sometimes the joke is still funny just because they had to explain it. Uh, I know I will uh, throw a disclaimer out just real fast. I am a WP Engine uh, client. So the work that WP Engine does is important to me for a number of reasons outside of the fact that I just like WordPress and use WordPress a lot. That being said, I want to start with this idea that I don't know if it's just a perception I have, but I feel like WP Engine has been putting forth a lot of effort of recent or an increased amount of effort of recent into like the headless WordPress sort of movement, so to we've speak. Talked, we've talked about headless WordPress before, but we, we've talked headless a... WordPress. We've talked static WordPress. Yeah. Can we, can we do a refresher really quick on headless WordPress? So yeah, let's start there, right? Yeah. So Kellen, sure. if somebody yeah. comes to you and says uses these words because they tend to come up frequently, yeah. and I feel like it's a case of a square is a rectangle, but a rectangle isn't a square. But maybe <laughs> right. I'm defining that wrong. Like, sure. What sure. what differentiates between headless and static? Sure. Yeah. So I would say to me, like the word headless, um, that is being different differentiated from a, a monolith so that's a common term that you'll hear like in the software development space you know if uh if a tech stack is a monolith that means it is a central code base that controls uh the front end and the back end so by back end i mean you know actually like reading and writing things to the database and things like that and by front end i mean the actual html and, and css and so on that that results in what the user views so so headless is breaking the two apart i i i'm reminded of like what we call mvc architecture right model yeah. view controller and a platform <laughs> that does that. all three <laughs> of those they control the data model they control 
the system yeah. that accesses that data and they control the system that presents that data. Yep, exactly. Yeah, so so Ruby on Rails, right? Um, very, yeah. <laughs> very, very, very popular, um, powerful MVC framework. You know, Laravel is another like very popular mm-hmm. one these days. Um, and I'm not before we get too too far. Like I'm not one of these people who thinks that uh, that the headless approach is like the only good one and should be used in all use cases. For sure, you know, yeah. I, yeah, I think it's easy well, to get stuck in those kind of traps. I think if you're earlier in, in your development career, but um, but in my experience, you know, the, the the longer you're in it, you realize the truth is the answer to almost everything is, well, it depends. What are the needs of the <laughs> needs of the project? You know, what talents do the people on the team have? What's the hosting situation? How, you know, how to deploy the work? All of these things, you know, influence like what the right f- framework is. So, I want to emphasize that because yeah. you just said the same thing that we have said on this show many exactly. times, and yeah. we did not prompt you to say that. That uh, <laughs> this notion of you know, well. Here's the thing. It depends. Like that right. those comments don't come <laughs> from a place of like I don't know what I'm talking about or I am uncertain about my skill set. It comes from the experience of knowing that man there's a lot of variables to juggle and the yeah. right solution depends on the right deliverables. So I just want to yeah. I want to emphasize that cuz I'm like <laughs> thanks for reinforcing that kind of thing. <laughs> I wasn't coached. <laughs> a follow-up question to the last one. Um, sure, yeah. when would you use, when would you want to use headless WordPress versus the normal WordPress instance? Like what, what is kind yeah. of the, the, the point where you're like, okay, I need to move over to doing headless WordPress. Yeah, I think there can be a few of them. Um, so, you know, traditional monolithic WordPress mm-hmm. works great for many applications and has for, for years now, but, uh, yeah, there are a few, a few things that that headless WordPress um, brings to the table that are are difficult or in some cases you know not possible to do with a traditional monolithic ar- architecture. So one common one these days is to have uh, multiple sources um, of data for for your website. Okay, so I'll break that down a, a bit more. So like one common thing these days is uh, this buzzword of, of Jamstack. You know you mm. hear that a lot mm. these yeah. days on on the it's web. Uh, it was popularized by. Uh, Matt Billman and Phil Hawksworth uh, of Netlify. They wrote a book kind of introducing that term or whatever. Let's see if I can get this right. JavaScript, JavaScript. APIs. Yep. Oh, right. I well, what is it, Aaron? Help me out. Is it most GreSQL? <laughs> most, most Gress. I like it. I'm going to create a new piece of tech called most Gress. Most Gress. It's not oh, that. Markup. It's, uh, it's markup. markup. It's, it's the HTML. It's the thing oh. that, that makes our stuff. That's right. Okay. I'm the idiot. Yeah, it's yeah. okay. <laughs> so, yeah, in, in, it, in the Jamstack case, it's, the M is supposed to refer to pre-rendered markup. So the idea right. is like you, you, oh, okay. you, bil- you build the, you know, the, as much of the page uh, as you can ahead of time at build time. You build mm-hmm. out that HTML and then anything else uh, you would you know, fetch on the client hmm. and so on. But but anyways, yeah, not to get too derailed too much. So in the like the Jamstack architecture, the idea there is you have uh, one site that might have multiple sources. So it could pull in data, data from your CMS, like to display your blog, blog posts. It pulls in data from your Shopify store, maybe to, mm-hmm. to display your, um, your e-commerce portion of your site. You're pulling in data from... Salesforce from the YouTube API, whatever it may be, you know, you have these multiple sure. sources. So if you're, if you're building in this decoupled architecture, that's in my experience, that becomes more easy to manage. You know, you can, 
you can at build time uh, query all, all of these uh, different data sources and then kind of you know stitch that data together and render the the HTML that ultimately makes up the page. Another one would be just if you want a single page app experience, you know. So if somebody, if a client came to me and said, um, "Yeah, we have we run a great podcast. It's called the Drunken UX Podcast." And nobody says that for idea. our particular site, <laughs> Michael, we or whatever need, podcast. And that. they said, and they said for our particular site, we would like a um, an audio player that's mm-hmm. sticky that sticks to the bottom of the of the site. And we want listeners to be able to play an episode and then have un- uninterrupted streaming audio as they browse the re- rest of the site, right? As their, their route transitions happen, we want the audio to be uninterrupted. So if you're asking yourself like, well, how would I do that on a traditional WordPress site, <laughs> right? Like it's, it, it's, I'm sh- it's possible, right? You would ha- but you would, you would have a lot of probably pretty awkward javascript where you have to say like every time a user hits hits the link you have to prevent the default behavior right and then and then do an ajax request to get the new content and replace okay. what's on the page and then you use push date to update the url all the stuff that you kind of get for free with single so, page app frameworks that are out there i actually solved that problem it would have been 2005 or 2006 <laughs> I, I solved it by using frames so <laughs> yeah. I put the audio player right. into a frame on the bottom of the page, set the frame border to zero, and cut the gutter out. And did you? And it did exactly what you're what you're just describing. Um, mm-hmm. I felt so dirty. You hey, frames. Kellen, I I just had an opening for a new co-host. If you're interested in leaving a decode, <laughs> I'm just gonna say like <laughs> that's the last straw. New 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 process, right? No, but what you're talking about, right? Like that that will sound very familiar though to mm. like React devs or Next right. devs or Vue devs. Like this idea of yeah. having what we call routes, right? Like things that. The URL of a page will change. The history of a page will change. But what's actually happening in the browser is you're never leaving. You're never changing anything. It's just what you're seeing is changing. Yep. Yep. Using your the the MVC stuff that we've been talking about, would you would it be accurate to say that using headless WordPress might be when you want to like dramatically change the view layer, but you want to keep kind of the like, the model controller layers? Uh, like kind of as is or like governed by WordPress internals? Um, no, I wouldn't, I wouldn't say that. I, okay. I think that, I think decoupling um, like that kind of, kind of turns M- MVC on its head. You know, you can't say that you can't say that the front end JavaScript app is only the view mm-hmm. and then everything out, like the controllers and the model are still all in the back end. Cause I don't think that's quite true, you know, because when you have um, like a front end app written in, react or view or svelte or something like that mm-hmm. it's it's doing a lot of the decision making like like routing and routing and data fetching and and then temp and templating you okay. know, things like that it's it's doing all of those things so i think that extends more than to more than just the view you know it's sure. like it's doing some decision making there it's like what's the route is the user logged in and they have the permissions to fetch it if so fetch the data and then okay. do do the templating where you're taking the data and you know, injecting it into some markup, and then render that to the page. So, so yeah, I think it um, you know dips into more than just the, the view layer if you want to think of it that way. So okay. I, I like this because you know it's getting into some some detail conversation about like what the difference between this and that and, and all that mm-hmm. is. Mm-hmm. To which I want to ask, what like right now? So you have developed a tool. 
called Atlas Content Modeler that is designed yeah. to assist in the process of making a headless WordPress website. Right before you get to that step, what is it that you think right now, like what basically what precipitated you creating that? What barriers or challenges did you see with folks? Because right, we have the WordPress REST API. We have the the uh, GraphQL plugins now that we can get real cool queries going. Uh, GraphQL yep. is a way of querying data and getting it out of not just WordPress, but any system. It's just a data format like XML right. or JSON or things like that. Um, and WordPress has a plugin that supports that. So what is it that like you think right now is like hindering people from making the decision to say, you know what? I have this thing I want to build and I could do it in WordPress, but it's not quite right. I'm not ready yeah. to jump into like full blown react and, and all of that. What are those challenges and barriers that are there now? So with WordPress, with like traditional monolithic WordPress, it gives you a lot of things for free that you don't have to uh, think twice about. So one example would be um, if somebody is a content creator, you know, and they've created a new blog post, they've typed up, a part of it, you know, maybe half of it. And they think, I want to see what this looks like on the front end. I want to preview this post. So they hit the preview link. You know, what WordPress will do is send you to the front end of the site with a, um, a URL parameter with the post ID. And then right. realize, oh, this, this logged in person, I'm able to authenticate and authorize this person and know that they're the author of this post. And now I'll display it for them in, you know, as a preview of, of the post. So things like that, you kind of take for granted if you've, been in the WordPress world for for a bit, um, but when you you know de decouple the front end from the back end, you have to think about like, oh wait a minute, now when that person goes to preview the post and see what it would look like on the front end, our friend lives over there now, yeah. right? It's it's decoupled, so I I actually have to put some thought into into I need to authenticate and authorize the person over there on my decoupled app, and then once I know they have access, then I can you know get this draft post that only that person has access to and show it in my front end app. And you have to rewrite the, the little preview link so that when it's clicked, it would send the user to the right place to that app to view the preview. So things like that, you know, and as I describe it, you might hear this and think headless sounds like a bad idea. <laughs> if I have to, if I have to re rewrite some of the you know, features I get for free with WordPress. Um, and, uh, and there are those, those, you know, trade-offs at this point, but uh, I think, I think it's getting easier and easier and there's a lot of interest in like headless CMSs in general. A lot of companies out there like Contentful and Prismic and Sanity and so on are, um, you know, kind of uh, popularizing the headless CMS as well. And WordPress, of course, can't be overlooked like it's 40 plus percent of the web at this point. So even if a fraction of those sites, you know, are interested in headless architecture, we're talking about huge numbers here, right? So so yeah, it can be uh, advantageous depending on the project and worth those pain points that you might hit along the road. So, so with that we can segue into Atlas Content Modeler specifically. If you yeah um, yeah no I, I, now yeah now I very much want to talk about like <laughs> yeah. the Content Modeler itself, right? Because yeah, WordPress has an API that lets you create custom post types. Yeah, um, depending on different systems, we'll call these different things content structures, uh, content models, whatever. Yeah. In some uh, systems, that may be a custom table in the database. In WordPress, it's all one giant table. Uh, so 
to do this in WordPress right now is kind of a either you have to do it in all vanilla code, right? Or mm -hmm. use like a generator or something like that. Or use most people will use either like pods or uh, the pods plugin or yeah. advanced uh, custom fields, ACF, yeah. um, to do all this. And the, the one thing that like I immediately thought of was, okay, I use ACF all the time. I create a custom yep. post type, throw my custom fields in there. And I'm like, why would I use Atlas content modeler looking at the, the demo and we'll have a video of course in, in the show notes for this, that shows like Atlas content modeler in action. And the first mm. thing is like, Oh, well it's just doing what advanced custom fields does. Is that not the case? Mm. Uh, it does compete pretty directly with ACF. Um, but it's specific to headless WordPress. So, so I would say, you know, if you're somebody who's in the WordPress space out there listening and you have a system in place already for uh, creating your custom post types, for adding custom fields to those, like like ACF, you know, and, and any taxonomies maybe that you'd want to add already, uh, and that suits your needs, you know, all the data, your data storage issues are um, taken care of by those, you know, that I wouldn't change, change a thing. Like that works well for you. Um, once you decide on a headless architecture, though, some of those things become more difficult. Um, mm. So, so for example, like, you know, to create um, what we're, we're referring to a moment ago as a content model, uh, you need a few pieces. You need like a custom post type, you right. need some, some custom meta fields for that right. post type. You may also choose to have like a taxonomy for that post type so that you're able to group together or categorize you know, your posts together. And and even beyond that, sometimes for some projects, it's necessary to have uh, relationships that you can efficiently query. So yes. if you've been in the WordPress space for a while, you might have heard of like posts to posts it was a very popular mm -hmm. plugin for a while for like maintaining very efficiently querying based on like posts that are re related to one another for doing like many to many queries, things like that. You would need, you know, each of those, those things um, you might need to create your full data model for the kind of data that you want to store and doing that for a headless WordPress project, um, you know, up until Atlas content modeler was on the scene doing that, uh, for a headless project was kind of cumbersome. So it would look like this. So your for your custom post type, you could use a plugin like uh, custom post type UI. So you can install that plugin and use that to register your post type and register your taxonomies or hard code all that if you wanted to, but one of those two options. And then for custom fields, in that case, you might reach for ACF and use that for your custom field for relationships. Then you need to reach for something like I mentioned post to post or MB relationships. And if you have all of those, then you would think, oh, wait a minute, I'm doing this site with a headless architecture. So that means I need a way to I need a way to extract all of that data and have it exposed in either the REST API or the GraphQL schema. So that's available to my front end app because you don't get that for free out of the box. Right. Right. So uh, the custom post type UI plugin, it recently added su support for um, exposing post types in the GraphQL schema for ACF advanced custom fields. There is a WP GraphQL extension that expo ex um, that exposes that in the GraphQL schema. So you could use use that uh, for custom for relationships. I've never seen anything. I don't think that that exists. So right now it's possible to get all that wired up. But you you know you you hear as I'm talking through this you hear all the moving pieces. It's like well you need these four four plugins and then you yeah. need several more plugins just to 
add those first four to the GraphQL schema. And then finally you end up with, okay, now I'm able to save all of my data that I need for my models, as well as you know, expose all my data to the, the front end application. So, so that's what, that's kind of the primary uh, value proposition for Atlas content modeler. It comes along and says, if you have a ACM running on your site, you can create a new model. Let's say it's uh, called project. You know, I can create a new model called project and say, this project is going to have um, like the the person's uh, st the street address. Let's say it's like a construction company doing work on, uh, you know, business and residential addresses or whatever. And they want to keep track of their pro projects. So they could say, I'm creating a new project model and it's going to have a number of fields. It's going to have street address, client name, client contact phone number, whatever. You can register your meta fields, enable a relationship, set it up between two models. And then the moment you've done all this, you've you know defined your um, your model, which is your post type, your fields, your taxonomies, your relationships, and then you hit save. Now it's in the GraphQL schema or REST API and you can head over to your front end app and start querying for that. So it's already available to you. Hmm. Let me ask a maybe obvious question, but maybe not, which is hmm. obviously you've built Atlas Content Modeler as a tool for people wanting to build headless WordPress websites. Is it... Hmm usable is it helpful for folks who want to build a normal wordpress website but still want the ability to build a custom post type and and have that advantage of i'm going to build all yeah. these custom fields and everything and maybe down the road i might go headless i don't know but i'd like to maybe future proof myself a little bit does does it work well in the absence of that headless architecture as well right yeah it's a good question um and it doesn't it's geared specifically to headless architectures gotcha. um, that was an early decision you know they uh, they looked at what the goal was for the project and decided um, instead of trying to support traditional monolithic wordpress and headless you know um, at the same time and uh, and maintain both going forward there's more advantageous to to only focus on um, on headless wordpress sites so yeah gotcha. it only supports that so if you don't plan to pull your data out via the REST API or GraphQL um, schema, then then yeah, you would want to use other solutions like, you know, the uh, custom post type UI plus ACF, you know, yeah. the, those solutions. It, hmm. Is there a route for converting? Um, so like if I've got, let's say, you know, and I've referred to this and I know at this point people are starting to be like, are you really doing this? <laughs> I am redesigning the Drunken UX site. And uh, yeah. so, and I'm building it like a traditional WordPress site and I've uh. got already a podcast structure with all our episodes in it, but mm -hmm. you posed a, a good option, right? Maybe I want to build a site where I can have like a, a static player that sits on the page that is always there available and can mm -hmm. play even as they're navigating the site. Is, is there a route in ACM in terms of like being able to convert an existing structure to an ACM structure? Or yeah. if I've already got existing stuff, do I kind of have to stick to how that is moving forward? Right. Yeah, that's a good question. Under the hood, it doesn't do many custom custom things. Like it, it adheres pretty tightly to to the way WordPress does things. So when you create a model behind the scenes, that's a post type. And when you add custom fields, you know it's ultimately save, saving those at, um, to the post meta table in, in the database, just like ACF would. When you create taxonomy, it's saving those in the same way that that you would if you're using a, uh, a different plugin to create those. So 
So yeah, to answer your question, if you're somebody who's you know, registered your post type and uses ACF maybe to add some custom fields to that and you wanted to move to ACM, um, what you would need to do is create a model and then make sure uh, the name of it matches the post type you you know you are, had already created. And then for your fields, you get to specify the meta keys. So you could, if you had like a single line text field that ACF was targeting, you know, named hello underscore world in your, um, in your model, your new model that you're creating, if you create a single line text field and you tell it to use, you know, that same hello underscore world for the meta key, you know, all those two plugins would just do the same thing. Essentially they'd get, get, they'd read and write the data from the same exact, you know, row in the post meta table. So so yeah, that's definitely doable. So post types, taxonomies, and custom fields would all map map very easily. I, I think okay. if you, just, you make sure the names match up, like I said. Right, right. Aaron, careful around the eyes. Uh, <laughs> I saw what you were doing there. He's uh, he's still complaining about his fingers uh, behind the scenes as we're recording, and I saw him oh, rubbing his his I eyes used, with his hands. I used my wrist. I, that is part of your hands. Well, I know, but I didn't touch the spicy stuff to my wrist, and like I, oh, it's not as bad as it could have been. But he's making wow. faces. That's all I he's, know. He's starting to hallucinate from the, <laughs> from the I, ghost peppers. I put photo. I don't know what these are. I put photos in the guest channel. We should put them on social or something, as you can see. <laughs> Someone can identify them for me. Tell I, me I will gladly pain. make fun of your pain. Make sure you share the one with the picture of my fingers and the the redness on them. So, uh, also, A, I'm not entirely sure Aaron doesn't have an allergy. I'm just going to throw that one out there. But, <laughs> Kellen, with the Atlas Content Modeler, so this is a plugin. You just install it in WordPress, and it gives you the yeah. ability to then just create these deals. Is that mm-hmm. uh, a repo plugin yet, or is that something that they have to download on GitHub or, or through WordPress Engine? Is it available to people freely right now? Yeah, great question. Um, it is available. It's not on the WordPress.org uh, plugin directory at this point, um, but there is a public GitHub repo. So anybody can use it right now. Gotcha. Uh, at the moment, only a um, subset of the fields that will eventually exist do exist. You know, So if you uh, install it right now, you'll see there's there's like single line text, text area, WYSIWYG, number, Boolean, and maybe one or two other field types, You know, which is... Um, quite a few less than you know, if you're used to, used to something like advanced custom fields of course it has a whole you know list of things to choose from so so this you know this project will get there they're, they're the team is working on adding uh field types um as we go so right now it's in um it's in a, an alpha a beta alpha beta yeah I, don't yeah. Mean, yeah I don't know if it's technically it technically ain't gold beta, but i believe it is <laughs> it, it yeah, ain't so gold say, yet, so so I would say if you if you want to try it out, definitely do it, but not on a client, you know, production client project. Maybe do it on your own, on your own sites. And um, I know the team would love like any feedback that you have as well. So in the mm. README for that repo, there are instructions there about like hey, if you find a bug or some you know confusing parts um, in the UI or whatever. I was like, please reach out here, you know. And there's some instructions there about how to inform the uh, decision making. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um- Okay, I want to get into something. We kind of opened this can a little bit already, but I want to loop back to it and, and kind of nail it down pretty specifically, which is mm. let's talk about use cases a little bit. Because like we talked about, not everybody needs a headless site. Right. The right solution for the right problem. And so for something like this, right, we assume that you have a server that's running PHP 
and as such can run WordPress. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we're using WordPress to have an interface to model our data, to store that data in a database so that we can get it and to give us the API so that we can get at it from yep. the front end. Where do you see like a tool like this, whether that's topic wise, industry wise, subject wise, like what kind of sites do you think will really benefit from having this kind of approach as opposed to say, let you know, going out and being like, well, we're just going to build our own react app or something <laughs> like that. We're going to set up a mean stack. Uh, was that uh mean yeah. is, uh, was it Mongo express, uh, uh, APIs and uh, Neanderthals because I remember all of these acronyms off the top of my head. Uh, what are those use cases? What do those look like for something like this? And where do you envision it really making an impact? Yeah, I, yeah, so we did, we touched on this briefly with a few of those use cases, like pulling from multiple sources or the persistent audio player example across pages. Yeah, those would be, be good ones. Um, but there are some more big ones as well. That folks out there might want to consider as well. Um, another one is having uh, a backend um, that serves up uh, ag- agnostic, you know, data um, to any c- type of client. So if that's necessary. So what I mean by that is, if you're choosing uh, a decoupled architecture, what you end up with is either the REST API or the GraphQL schema on your WordPress backend. You can ask it for things, and it gives you back very unopinionated JSON data. You can do anything mm. you want with that. So that means if you're, and I've you know talked with folks out there in the community who work with clients who say, yeah, we want to manage all of our, our, our um, content in WordPress. And then we plan to query for that data and render it on our website, on our iPhone app, on our Android app, on maybe there's a, you know, a desktop application uh, that, that they're building or wherever else on the web. You know, so if you ask yourself, well, how would I do that in a traditional WordPress site where your WordPress backend, you know, generally speaking, it just serves up HTML, like the fully rendered HTML pages. It's making the assumption that like the one and only place this is used is on the web because that's, you know, I'm serving up HTML. You know, so what would you do if you needed a, um, an iOS or Android application? You know, if, you're, if your web server only serves up HTML, you know, you might be able to use some of that like inside of a web view or, or some something on those devices. But at that point, you're kind of turning it into a, a, a you know, website. It's not a, not a true native app at that point. So I've met folks in the community out there who opt for something like WP GraphQL, knowing that now my content creators can go into WordPress and, you know, make all their, um, do all their authoring and editing of content there. And then that will, the web, web backend will serve up this raw JSON data. And that will be consumed by my, you know, Next.js or Gatsby or Nuxt or whatever front end on the web, and also consumed by my iOS app and also consumed mm-hmm. by my Android app, which is cool. It's a nice idea that it's this unopinionated source of data that you know can be used by any any client. What about let's let's like we'll land the plane with this kind of thought, golden nugget territory. What's the golden nugget that you would want somebody to take away who's thinking about ACM? Like, what's the important, like, if I've learned one thing listen, listening to this conversation, um, mm. what would you want them to walk away with in terms of 
whether that's something about headless WordPress itself, whether that's something about the Atlas content modeler, um, well, what is that sort of like one thing that you think is really valuable that people should be thinking about? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I would say there are two, you know, big decisions to make. Like if, you, if you have a web project and you've already settled on WordPress for the back end, at least, if you're going to use it as a CMS, you've at least, you know, decided that much. I think the next decision you had to make is, you know, the traditional monolithic architecture versus a, a, a headless or decoupled architecture. And um, I would just weigh the pros and cons there. Hopefully this podcast episode is helpful. Some of the things we've talked about, you know, some of the examples where headless might be advantageous, um, you know, might be helpful for you making that decision. As I mentioned, it's not without its pain points though, like the preview links and other things like form submissions and things like get more complex if you choose that. So I would, I would do some research there and figure out if it's a good uh, setup for the project. If it is, then the other de- decision is how are you going to create those uh, content models? Um, so in my opinion, you know, con- Atlas Content Modeler is going to be a very uh, convenient and powerful way to do that. Right at this moment, it doesn't have you know, all the fields baked in and relationships is, um, is it fully supported yet and so on. It's still early days, so... So if if you have to get a site out the door like right now, maybe and and it's a headless architecture, maybe you know opt for ACF and other things, but but definitely keep your eye on Atlas Content Modeler for as a tool. It's going to make it easier um, for you to create those data models as opposed to you know cobbling together multiple uh, plugins to to do the same thing. Hmm. Yeah, easy way. And the other thing I was thinking about as you talked about how you're trying to unify the tools in ACM so that you don't have to go out and get this plugin and that plugin and this other plugin to kind of produce the same outcome um, through a normal backend. I always think about what happens when one of those things breaks, right? <laughs> like you, when you have to rely on three or four plugins to produce your outcome, you become beholden to this tool chain that Very if true. any one of those things pushes out a bug, even accidentally, I mean, nobody pushes out a bug intentionally for the most part, but <laughs> right. ACM tries efforts to like get all that into one space. And let's pretend that you have a test suite. I, I'm going to guess that there's probably a pretty good test suite involved in that and that you guys mm-hmm. are thinking about those things. And it's like when you guys push an update out, it's probably coming with some pretty robust help so to speak, to prevent that kind of mistake. And that you're thinking about your product as opposed to the other plugin authors that are thinking about their plugin, but not necessarily how it interacts with others. And so you reduce the number of vectors, right, that can be a problem. And I think that's going to be really valuable, I think, to folks who want to be like, I need one stop, man. I need to be able to trust my one tool in front of me. Yep. Cool. Yeah, absolutely right. Yeah, there's a lot to be said for minimizing those dependencies, like you said, right? As soon as one version number isn't quite compatible with the rest, right? now yeah. there's trouble. But but yeah, if it's unified, then you're in a better spot there. So it's a and big benefit. Anybody who's developed long enough knows that every fringe bug won't affect you. But one day, <laughs> the odds are against you. <laughs> and one of those fringe bugs is going to land on your plate. And it's going to yeah. be the one time... You need to use ACF with the GraphQL plugin, with the the post UI plugin. It's going to be like, you're going to be at the nexus of that bug. Right. It's going to happen. It's just, that is purely a matter of odds. 
<laughs> Folks, take a break, sit back. We're going to get you out of here after this message from our sponsor. As we talk about WordPress, it's also important to emphasize the fact that there are a lot of people out there using WordPress. What are we at? Like 37, 38% of websites use it. A lot of universities are using it. And one area where you can learn about all of the different ways that these large and very complex organizations are using WordPress is by checking out the High Ed Web Conference. Aaron, you've been there. I I've have. been there. I've, I've been to the regional ones. You've I, been, I oh, yeah, they do regional paid. ones as well. Yeah. yeah. Those are great because they are like, they're much more like focused in. Mm -hmm. You got a smaller group of people. You can all, you, all you can get in like one room and, and mm -hmm. have fun with that and, and get to know folks. Uh, I have my red stapler from, from my <laughs> talk uh, a few <laughs> years back on Tag Manager. I'm very proud of that award. Thank you. Uh, the office, the office space reference, I take it. Yes. Yes, yes, absolutely. It absolutely exactly right. is. I love it. I love it. Yep. The the talks are really great. Um, but honestly, like I think one of the hugest benefits from it is the fellowship. Uh getting to meet other people who are doing higher ed work just like you are is like it's I, I can't even emphasize how like valuable it is. And yeah, yeah. meeting people who are facing the same kinds of challenges you are, uh, both with like the institution and also with students and the same kind of um uh, like problems to solve and everything like you just you can't you can't beat that and that's something that you don't get if you only watch the talks on youtube after the fact um so like getting to interact with these people is really great this year they are online um you can thank covid for that but they do that the crux of this organization is online or i'm sorry in-person uh conferences but this year they are online if you want a very like accessible format. They do uh, have live captioning on their stuff. They do take nice. all of their accessibility and things very seriously. They have incredibly affordable registration. Um, their 2021 conference is designed to literally offer you flexibility to join the conversation the way that you need to and how you need to. Their next conference is October 4th and 5th. Uh, this is all online. Their keynote presenter is uh, the uh, present or the presenter, the host um, uh, Shannon Kaysen from NPR, and you can visit drunkenux.com/slash/slash/slashy/slashy/slash <laughs> drunkenux.com/slash/heweb21. That's drunkenux.com/slash/heweb21 to register for that conference. Kellerman, thanks for sitting down with us this week. I appreciate you talking about uh, the Atlas Content Modeler. I'm excited to use it. I've got some stuff that I've already got kind of in mind in terms of where this might be useful for me and, and the projects we've got going on. Check it out. You can get that plugin over on GitHub. We will have links in the show notes. But while you're looking at that, Kellen, I want to give you the microphone. Take two or three minutes, whatever you need. Tell folks what you got going on, where they can find you, and anything else that you think they should be paying attention to. Sure. Yeah, absolutely. Well, first off, you know, you're welcome for coming on. It was my, my pleasure. Um, it's always fun geeking out and talking about uh, uh, this stuff with with other uh, like-minded folks. So so thank you for having me on. Um, yeah, in terms of what I'm working on, uh, as mentioned, you know, my day job is at WP Engine doing developer relations, developer advocacy type stuff. So if you're uh, out there listening and you're interested in 
this headless WordPress world may want to learn more about um, how to do that, how to develop sites in that way, uh, definitely check out developers.wpengine.com. Um, that's the site where we, that's kind of the hub for all of our content. So we have uh, blog posts linked from there. Our YouTube channel is linked from there. The Decode podcast that we mentioned earlier, you'll find links um, to it there as well. Uh, Excellent show. Excellent show. I, I am a listener. So <laughs> thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. So um, we have links uh, to all of those things, including documentation as well. So Atlas Content Modeler, we've been uh, talking about for the episode here. Um, very shortly, we're going to have uh, our, our documentation is going to go live for that project. And it'll be linked from that developers.wpengine.com site as well. So yeah, that's where to find um, all the, the stuff that we're working on. Um, me personally, I have a little side side project I'm, I'm working on just to learn some new tech. Um, I don't know if anyone's remotely interested in this, but I'm building something that I think is cool. So I'll just, I'll just mention that, uh, it's, um, video mentions.com is, uh, this new little app I'm, I'm building. Um, I'm, tr- I'm working in Svelte kit and I'm using oh, nice. super, super base for, which is kind of a back, uh, backend as a service. It's kind of similar to Firebase, only it's an open source alternative to that. So I'm using that, and I'm trying out Tailwind CSS as well. I feel like I'm late to the party there. So many developers like <laughs> are gaga about Tailwind. I've never done a pro, you know, a, a actual project with it. So, so yeah, I'm having fun trying out the new tech, and I'm uh, I have this new app, VideoMentions.com. That's um, the idea there is you can type in a certain word and tell it what YouTube channels you want it to monitor, and then it'll email you anytime any of those YouTubers say the words that you told it to listen oh. for. So if you have oh, a certain wow. phrase. Google that you care about if, if that's anywhere in their spoken words that they say somewhere in the episode it'll email you and say hey this episode at the three minute 40 second mark the phrase you care about was said you know so so i'm having fun with that i've i've uh, it's a little app idea i had and i want for myself and maybe other people don't care but but i'm building it anyway so i can use it so no, that that is how we all do it right like you got to find those passion projects can i sign up with the words hey it's your boy all <laughs> <laughs> right yes <laughs> yeah or or hey you guys right that's another like like every other every other video someone's saying yeah so if you have to like it like and subscribe and click the bell <laughs> exactly yeah you your email inbox will be filling up pretty quick <laughs> i i'm not even kidding we're gonna put photos of these peppers up on instagram which you can see at instagram.com slash junkie podcast or you can come and talk to us about Peppers and also ACM at Facebook and Twitter.com slash DrunkenUX. Or come and chat with us about Pepper Discourse at DrunkenUX.com slash Discord. I, I was worried you were going to say Discourse there at the end. That that made me worried, but you pulled it out. I give you credit. Uh, and the only thing that really matters as far as like things like Atlas con- Content Modeler and, and those kind of tools, it doesn't matter if you're using headless WordPress. You can be as headless as you want to as long as you keep your personas close and your users closer. Aaron, keep your fingers off your eyes. Bye-bye. Oh.